So let's open up our Bibles to Judges chapter 14 tonight. Judges chapter 14. Last week we started this uh, seventh period. Uh, there are seven different periods of time in the book of Judges. And uh, we're at the seventh, um, seventh period, and it's during the life of Samson. And, and, and it's interesting that Samson has more, it seems that he's got four chapters really um, about his life and his ministry. And um, probably more so than any of the other judges, except for maybe, uh, I think the uh, Gideon would probably be the one that had uh, a little bit less real estate, if you will, on the, in the Bible concerning him. But there's a lot here written about Samson, and it's interesting that it is Samson. Because Samson, we know, we, we looked at last week at his birth in chapter 13. And uh, Samson, uh, let me just summarize uh, chapter 13. It says, we, we see a familiar phrase in, in chapter 13. It says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So for 40 years, the Philistines were really um, persecuting and, and coming after the Israelites and God raised up this, this young man named Samson, whom his mother and father, they were from the tribe of Dan. And his mother, actually, uh, prior to his birth, she was barren. She couldn't have any children. And then the angel of the Lord visited her, told her that she would have a child who would begin to deliver them out of the hand of the Philistines. And, and from his birth, from before he was even born, the Lord put upon him a Nazarite vow. And if you remember last week, we looked at what that Nazarite vow is. We, we read about it in Numbers chapter 6, and perhaps we'll look at it again tonight briefly. But um, he had this vow of a Nazarite on him, which means that he was consecrated to the Lord from birth. And there were other people like uh, Samuel and uh, John the Baptist, were other individuals in the Bible who had taken this vow of the Nazarite, and they had it from their birth, and Samson was one of those. And we see that at this time in, in Israel's history, it was not really a good time. It was a time of failure, really. It was a time of compromise. And that's why we see that familiar refrain. If it was a, if it was a song, the chorus of the song would be uh, chapter 13, verse 1, which is, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of whoever it was. And that's just the, the roller coaster that we see in the book of Judges. And so it's an unfortunate thing. And, and now we, we come to a character whom the Bible says was a, a very sensual man. He was a very strong man, empowered by the Spirit of God. But Samson was a man who was supposed to be consecrated unto the Lord, but he was not a man who allowed really the Lord to do that completely in his life. He, he, he knew what God had um, his mother and father, I'm sure, shared with him from a very early age what the angel of the Lord spoke to, spoke to them about his life. And yet throughout Samson's life, and we'll certainly see tonight, that Samson doesn't really take it very seriously. To me, he's, a, he's a, 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 perhaps an excellent type of the Laodicean church. And what I mean by that is, a Laodicean church was a church that was lukewarm. It really didn't have a fervor for God. It was, it was a church that was by name only, but, but inside they were just, they were neither hot, they were neither cold. And so Samson was this kind of in, individual that should have been 
uh, rising to the occasion and, and staying close to the Lord, but we actually see the opposite. We see him flirting around with, with, um, with wine and women and song, <laughs> all these things. Samson got into a lot of trouble. And so let's go ahead and, um, you know, and he was, uh, he was a very uh, uh, a gifted man uh, when the Lord was upon him. Some have said that Samson was bold before men, but weak before women. We know that that's one of, a, one of the traits of his and one of the traits of many men in our culture. And it's, uh, guys, this chapter tonight's going to hit you right between the eyes because it's not an easy chapter. Because I, in Samson, we can see much of ourselves, hopefully not much of ourselves, but in our culture, even in the church, there are men who are struggling and um, it's really important that, guys, we really take a good look at Samson's life and learn every lesson. And also, ladies, as we look in, in, in the book of uh, Judges 2 here in the lives of Samson, in the life of Samson, you can also see uh, some of the wives that he married and the things that they did. And it, it, there's, some, there's some lessons in there for you ladies as well. But it's very timely for the world that we live in, very timely for the culture that we find ourselves in. Um, there's a verse in the Bible in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. It says, be sure your sin will find you out. And this is also something else that is true of Samson. Uh, you know, Samson had, uh, he was a very passionate man, but in the end, it all caught up to him. It all caught up to him. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all of these things brought, really brought him to his end and brought him to destruction. And the Bible says also in Romans chapter 6, 23, one of our uh, verses that I would encourage you to memorize, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice a wage. A wage is something you earn. The wages of sin, what you get for sin is death. But notice, the gift of God is eternal life. Do you see the difference between a wage and a gift? A wage is something you earn. A gift is something that's given to you. I don't know about you, but I like the idea of receiving a gift, and it's a gift uh, through, of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I would much rather have that than have the wage of sin which is death. Amen? Wouldn't you rather have that? And yet, Samson is in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the great hall of faith that we know it to be, there are some really wonderfully faithful men and women listed in that chapter. And it says in verse 32, And what more shall I say, the author says, for the time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. And so it's really amazing that Samson will be included in this hall of faith. And it also is encouraging to me that even Lot, Abram's nephew, was also included. And to think that these, these, these men, these believers... And yet they had these issues, very issues that were out on their sleeves. 
You know, sometimes our, our issues are underneath the skin. Nobody can see them, but some people wear them out on their sleeves like a Christmas tree. Do you, do you know people like that? You know, we can hide our own sin from everybody else, but it's still grievous to the Lord, isn't it? I can hide my sin from everybody else, and God can see right under the skin. He can say, oh, Rob, <laughs> you can fool everybody. You can fool everybody in the church, but I know there's an issue. And yet there are some where they just can't contain themselves. Their, their sin, whatever issue it is, is right out there for everyone to see, and everyone's going, oh, good grief, here, here he comes again, or here she comes again, right? But that's the way it is. Warren Wearsby, the, the late Warren Wearsby, he just passed away not too long ago. He said this about Samson. He said, Samson was a man of faith, but he certainly wasn't a faithful man. Very interesting. He was a man of faith. He, he demonstrated some things when the Spirit of God came upon him, but he wasn't a faithful man. And there's a lesson here for all of us, all of us tonight, whether male or female, but especially the guys because there's so much. So let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 14. Um, let me see. Let's just go ahead and actually get into it, okay? Uh, let's just start reading from the very beginning. Time doesn't permit us, so let's just read. Let's look in the first verse here. It says, Now Samson, he went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Pharisees. Now Timnah is a city which is uh, just west, about four miles west of where Samson grew up in the town of Zorah. So there's Zorah, and then just a little bit to the, 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 the west, uh, would be uh, four miles west in the Judean foothills is this little town called Timnah, and it belonged to the Philistines. Belonged to the Philistines. But notice what it says, that he saw a woman in Timnah. And the, the interesting thing is, is this word means to gaze upon, to inspect, to give attention to. And I don't think I really need to explain it much more. And you understand what I'm saying. Samson, from what we know of his character already, he, he saw her. He looked at her, but he didn't just look at her. You know there's a difference between a look. And all of you ladies have had the opportunity, unfortunately, to have somebody look at you and then to have somebody look at you. And guys, every one of us in this room at some point have looked at a woman, and then we've looked at a woman. There's a difference. And hopefully as we grow closer, hopefully since we've been saved, hopefully as we've become Christians, those looks either disappear or they are, we're getting closer and closer to the Lord and not giving in to those things because they do. They, they wear on us. But notice, he, he saw her and a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. I love what, what Job said in, his, uh, in the book of Job, verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 1. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes why then should I look upon a young woman? And I think that's a really awesome scripture for every man to memorize and to emblazon on the front, to tattoo on the inside of their eyelids so that when they close their eyes at night, they see the scripture. <laughs> Job 31 verse 1. But we also know that Jesus had a lot to say about it too. Remember, he says, You have heard that it was said, this is in Matthew 5 verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And isn't that what Samson did? He didn't just look at her, he gazed at her, he studied her, he inspected her. 
And that's a very uncomfortable thing for any person to endure. But it's something that happens. And, and folks, it's, it's really important, guys. I would encourage you to take that. You don't have to make any vows to God, but I would encourage you to really think about that verse. Job 31, verse 1. And I would encourage you to really, with all that lies within you, to not be like Samson. As we read about him, we're going to see some character, uh, th things of his character that we need to learn from. And ladies, I would also encourage you to consider even how you dress, the way you dress. You know that there's a difference. I've seen, you know, uh, my wife, she dresses very modestly. And there are women in the church that dress very modestly. They're, you know, and, 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 and then, then there are other women who don't dress modestly, and especially this time of year. And we have to be honest with each other, and we have to ask the hard question, who am I dressing for? You know, and as we look at Samson's life, you know, he was looking at her, and perhaps because she was a Philistine, she probably wasn't the most chaste of women. <laughs> she probably wasn't the kind of person who dressed very modestly, and thus he looked at her. And maybe she enjoyed it. And there, therein lies the rub, right? Why is it that I do the things that I do? Ladies, why is it the way, you know, there's a difference. Dressing to be beautiful, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's, there's a line. And I think most women know when they cross that line. And husbands, we need to be very careful, too, that we don't dress in ways that stumble others. But notice... Uh, Samson, he, he saw a woman of, uh, in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Remember, the Phil Philistines were a people, they were a non-Semitic people, which means that they did not come from the line of Shem. The reason why they call someone Semitic, uh, a, a Semitic person is somebody who comes from the line of Shem. Remember Shem, Ham, and Japheth after the flood? They and their wives populated the earth, Right? So every one of us comes from one of these three, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. It just so happens that the Jews and uh, many of the Arabs, they come from Shem, the line of Shem. But it just so happens that the Philistines come from the line of Ham. And it's written for us in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. It says, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And then it goes down in verse 13, because I'm just going get to re get right to the point here. Well, Genesis chapter 10 is called the table of nations. You can learn a lot from that. But in verse 13 it says, Mizraim begat Ludim and An uh, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, and Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines and Kaphtorim. And if you look at an old map, you'll see that right underneath the island, uh, or right underneath Greece, there's an island called Crete. These people came from that island, and history tells us they went down to Egypt. And the Egyptians, they tried to overthrow the Egyptians. The Egyptians threw them out, so the Philistines went up the coast to modern-day Israel, and they settled on the coast. And the five cities, um, you know, Ashdod and Gaza and uh, Ashkelon, all those are uh, three, at least three of the five cities. We'll look at the other ones later. But they all settled there, and they became a perennial enemy of the Jews. They were idolaters. They were a seafaring people. They were wicked. 
They continued in their idolatry. They, were, they worshipped false gods. And so God was very bent on, um, uh, he was going to destroy them for their iniquity, for their sin. And that doesn't sound right today, does it? It bothers us. But let me suggest to you, it ought not to bother us. If God has a, if he chooses to bring judgment on any group of people, he has the right to do that. He has the right. Because of sin, when they refuse to turn, there is always a consequence for sin. We ought never to um, shy shy, shy away from that. God is just. Man is unjust. But I know that God is just. Amen? And be encouraged in that because we're living in a world right now they don't even know what's right and wrong anymore. They will call what is good evil and what is evil good. We live in those days. So, verse 2. So he went and he went up there and he told his father and his mother, his mom and dad, they were from the tribe of Dan, as was Samson. And he says, I have seen a woman in Timnah. The same word here. Remember in verse 1? I saw. He saw a woman. He's seen. He, he has seen a woman in Timnah. It's the same exact word of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, mom and dad, go get her for me as a wife. Go get her. You know, he was totally off base. And we're going to look at in a few minutes why he was so off base. And he, then he demands that his parents go and fetch him, fetch for him this woman, this pagan, idolatrous woman. Verse 3, Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. You know, for Samson to marry the woman at Timnah was contrary to God's revealed will. And what do I mean by that? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. I have a feeling we're not going to get through this chapter tonight. But it's okay. Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 12. Notice what it says. God speaking to the Israelites. He says, Take heed to yourself, Exodus 34, verse 12, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going. Where you are going. Lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars. You shall break down their sacred pillars. You shall cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Boy, that's another word we don't like. In our culture, the word jealous means, you know, when we think of jealous, we think of a man who's full of rage. And to think that God is jealous for you. I I don't know about you, but that, that touches my heart to think that He loves us so much that he is fierce about his love for you. And isn't that the real, uh, the real bottom line of any man toward a wife or a man toward a girlfriend, for instance, when, when he sees another man looking at his wife and maybe he's even better looking than the husband is. And then maybe the wife looks over and goes, wow, he's got, he's got a full head of hair. Skinny jeans. The guy's got like everything is just like, you know, these nice little, you know, thin frame glasses. He's driving a Harley Davidson. 
on Wednesdays, then the Aston Martin on Thursdays. <laughs> but notice, but God is a jealous God. And he says, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. And so this is exactly what is happening with Samson. He's looking at this, this woman who's from a, a, a race of people whom God has pronounced judgment upon. And he is in love with her or in lust with her. Big difference, right? Love and lust. Our culture doesn't know the difference. Hollywood doesn't know the difference. They call love, love is a big paintbrush. It's a big swath. But most of the time it just means lust. You know, real love is something that's really wonderful to watch. And we used to be to, uh, an elderly couple used to sit right there, actually, Rick and Bunny Marini. They were both in their 90s. They're both home with the Lord now. But I remember years ago them sitting here. And uh, I remember um, after the service, they'd get up, and after all those years, they'd been married for like over 65, I think 69 years they were married. And here I am, you know. They'd been married, you know, two decades longer than I've been alive. And I see them hold hands and walk out together. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, and just the way he treated her and the love that he had for her. It was a decision. It was a, an act of the will. It wasn't, you know, I've seen pictures when they were both young and they were both outstanding. You know, he was a pilot in World War II and both of them looked dynamite. You know, both of them just really beautiful looking people when they were, you know, I mean, physically when they were younger. And as we get old, we know the flower fades, right? At least on the outward flower, the inward flower continues to grow. And yet such a wonderful uh, exemplary showcase they were to us, to me. But notice what happens in, 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 uh, in 2 Corinthians. What does it say in chapter 6? Uh, let me just read it to you for the sake of time. And it begins in verse 14. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 because now Samson is looking in this other field. He's looking at the Philistine women. And you'll notice that as we look at Solomon's life, he doesn't cease to look at Philistine women. He, he doesn't, there's, the women of his own tribe, of even of the tribes of Israel, are not even on his radar screen. The first one that he, he's, he marries is, is this woman from Timnah. And then later on in the next chapter, we're going to read about Delilah. And she was another Philistine woman. What is wrong with this picture? Where did Samson go wrong? He was unequally yoked. God had told him to marry among his own tribe. And they did that for a variety of reasons, to keep the inheritance in the land so that the land would not go to foreigners. And that's what's so unique about Israel and the Jews themselves. They always kept it within the tight group. And that's admirable, actually. But... Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, he says, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And as we look at Samson's life in this chapter and the next two chapters, we're going to see that he was definitely unequally yoked. He definitely touched the unclean thing, and we'll, we'll look at that as we go. In fact, all of this vow that he had taken, this Nazarite vow, one of the things that they weren't supposed to do is to have anything to drink of wine or anything of the grape. I mean, even a raisin, a grape, a wine from the grape. We're to refrain from that. You weren't supposed to touch a dead body. You weren't supposed to cut your hair. It was usually something that men took on themselves as a Nazarite vow. This was given to him by the Spirit of God before he was even born. So he's supposed to let his hair grow and not ever cut it. And notice that his parents, for whatever reason, as we read there in chapter uh, 3, they, weren't, they were um, unwilling to forbid this rebellion. He gets his parents into it, wants to go down to Timnah and take this woman to wife. They just rolled over and gave in to his desires. You know, but such was the moral temperature of the time. It says this in the very last chapter of Judges, uh, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, what does it say? It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that really sums up the whole period of Judges. There was no king yet, because Saul hadn't come on the scene, and certainly David hadn't come on the scene. But everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and so was Samson. He was, he was right there along with them. Doing what felt good. Have you heard that phrase, if it feels good, do it? There's a phrase I grew up with. If it feels good, do it. Well, let me tell you something. We all learn the hard way. And I hope that the young people of this church don't have to learn the things that many of us have learned in this room. You know, there's, there's no reason to go through that. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but to, you know, if it feels good, do it. Believe me, we're setting ourselves up for a, a, a wonderful fall, and it's not a good thing. But notice at the end of verse 3, it says, He says, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. This phrase literally means she is right in my eyes. She is right in my eyes. I've seen her, I've examined her, and wow. Reminds me of Pepe Le Pew looking at that little cat. Remember in the cartoon? Lemieux, Lemieux. Do you remember? Oh, my baby. I'll take you to the Casbah. This was Samson. This was Samson. So you guys won't remember anything but that, right? You go home, what'd you guys talk about? What'd you guys learn tonight? <laughs> Pepe Le Pew. So, but that's literally what it means. When it says she pleases me well, literally what it means is she was right in my eyes. She was right in my eyes. 
And we see this in verse 7 below. We'll see that very same phrase again. And this is precisely one of Samson's biggest problems. Instead of living by faith and not by sight, Samson was one of those living by sight and not by faith. He was a man who was led by the lust of his eyes, as most people are today. Everybody judges a book by its cover. They never look at, it takes time to find out what's under the cover. It takes time to look past the page of the table of contents. It takes time to open the cover of the book, to read the first couple chapters, pick a couple chapters in the middle, look at chapters at the end, maybe read the bibliography and the notes at the end, and you find out what somebody's like, but not so with Samson, not so with most people today. They don't want to take the time. And this was a problem for Samson and a problem for many today, just always looking on the outward appearance. Isn't that what... God told, or what Samuel told Saul, he says, you know, uh, or the Lord said to Samuel, he says, the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. Man, look, you know, God looks on the heart. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says this, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world, now, we know that the world, we're talking about the world system here. We, you know, when we think about the world, it's not just the world itself. You, know, you can love plants, and you can love the beauty of the earth, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But loving the systems of the world, loving the things that are in the world, that's a whole different thing. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here he lists them, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is what? It is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever abides forever. And there is what Samson failed at so miserably. All three of these things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, we're going to see those things as we read his life. And yet, he's in the book of Hebrews. In Proverbs chapter 6, it says this, and guys, as we look at Samson, let's look at this. Let me just read it to you. Proverbs 6, verse 24. One of the reasons for, uh, for Solomon writing the Proverbs was to keep you. He's speaking to his son. This was written for his son. I wonder if it was written for Rehoboam. The whole book of Proverbs, I wonder if it was written specifically for Rehoboam himself. Because he says, one of the reasons he wrote this, he says, is to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. And so these are important things. Samson was not a man who was careful about these things. And many men today, even pastors of churches, and this is one thing I'd encourage you to pray for those not only in government leadership, but in spiritual leadership. Pray for the men. Ladies, guys, pray for each other. Pray for the men. Pray for the men. 
We live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Our world, our country, there is so much uncleanness. And God calls us to holiness. He's called us to holiness. Will you take that charge, guys? Ladies, will you take that charge? To walk in purity, to walk in holiness. You remember what happened to to David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 as he was on top of his house when he should have been at war. It was a time when kings were supposed to go to war. It was a a good time of the season where it was a drier season. There wasn't a lot of rain. There wasn't a lot of those, uh, uh, you know, environmental issues, they would go out to war then because it was favorable to do such. But David stayed home one night. You remember how it got him into trouble. He was on top of his house and he looked and like Samson, he saw a woman. Kind of ironic, her name was Bathsheba because that's exactly what she was doing. She was taking a bath. Bathsheba. And David saw her. And he brought her to his home. A married woman. His own, one of his own guys in the army was out fighting the battles and he takes his, this man's wife. And you know, this, you know the historical event. It's not a story. This happened. And Samson was just like that. And we, unfortunately, we see this thing over and over again being played out in the lives of men and women all around the world and in our country and even unfortunately in the church and folks it has to stop we have to we can't let this uh, this cancer continue verse 4 in our text tonight he says but his father and mother did not know that it was of the lord that he was seeking an occasion, that God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. So, uh, for, for at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And when it says of the Lord, you know, because they were going to go down to Timnah, and the parents are just going to, uh, they're going to go along with Samson's desire. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. This phrase, of the Lord, is so interesting because it literally means, uh, or I believe it means, that it was not the Lord's perfect will because the Lord does not tempt anyone with evil, neither is he tempted of any man. Man is tempted when he is you know, uh, taken uh, by something, he sees, and then he has to act upon it. And the end of that thing ultimately is what? It's death. But this was God's, he allowed it. He allowed this to happen. It wasn't his perfect will. It was of the Lord. Because see, the thing we have to remember is that God is outside of time. He's not confined to time like you and I. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, I think it's verse 15, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. He inhabits eternity. That means that he sees time as if it is already completed. He sees it all in front view of him. He, are, he, he can see, believe it or not, even right now, he can see the creation and he can see the very end. He can see everything in between and he knows every single life, every single thought, every single action. He knows it in advance. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He cannot learn anything. And so he knows all of this about us. Read Psalm 139. It talks about his omniscience. He knows everything. That's encouraging to me because I know he loves me and he knows what I'm going to do tomorrow. He knows the thought I'm going to think next week. 
And he knows that about you too. And if he loves me like that now, isn't that great confidence? Because if I knew that about you, I probably wouldn't be hanging out with you. (laughs) And if you knew that about me, you'd probably be like, I can't believe he's going to think that tomorrow. I'm leaving this service. Right? But God knows, and yet his love is so wonderful and perfect. So this, you know, by his father and mother going down there, they did not know that God was going to have his way in Samson's life regardless of Samson's choice. He was making bad decisions, but God was going to use that bad decision. He knew Samson. He intervened in Samson's life. And Samson had the ability to cut off that flow of God's grace just like we do. That's a scary thing. To cut it off, to hold it, to put a tourniquet around the blessings of God and say, God, I'm on my own and I'm fine. I can handle this. And all the while, he's got life he wants to pour into you and you've got a death strangle on that tube that's coming down from God. I believe Samson had his hand around that spout where the blessings come out. For he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Why? Is it because God is just mean? Is it because God is a bigot against the Philistines? Even with Samson's problems and issues that he had, God gave him every opportunity. God was continuing to give him opportunity. We're going to see that later when he brings a lion out in front of him. I believe that was God's way of getting his attention. Samson, what are you doing? What are you doing in this vineyard? Why are you drinking this wine, Samson? What are you doing? Hello, Samson. Anybody home? The lights are on, but nobody's home. Right? And the Philistines, they would be a thorn in the side of Israel. So verse 5, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and his mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. You know, it's that his, his father and his mother should have never consented to do this. They knew what God had spoken to them before his birth, and yet they went along with it. You know what, folks? If you have children, the best thing you can do for them is to be a parent, not to be a friend. You can be a friend after they move out of the house. When they get married and have kids, you can be their friend then. But you're really never, you'll never cease to be You'll always be their parent, is what I'm saying. Be a parent. And so many parents today are just caving in to their sons and their daughters' whims and desires. There's no governor in the life. Just whatever feels good. You know, oh, you honey, you want that? Okay. Do you want that iPhone when it's wide open and you can access anything you want, even though you're only five years old? It's okay. It's okay, honey. Yeah, any YouTube video is open to you. In fact, we're not going to put any restrictions on it at all. I know you're only three years old. That's okay. I know you're still nursing a bottle, but it's okay. You can have that iPhone, honey. You can look at whatever you want. I'm being facetious, but you get the point. We've got to be a parent. And they were not being a parent to him. Instead of being a parent, okay, Samson, whatever you want. Maybe he was one of these kids as he was growing up just throwing a tantrum in Wegmans, you know, wanting the, wanting the butterfinger there in the, uh, in the checkout line, and you're saying, no, you can't have it. What do you mean I can't have it? Put it back. Put it back, Rob. Put the can't. What do you mean? I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. And then you start, and then the volume goes up, and you can hear everyone around you is going, oh, I've seen it happen. I've done it myself. I can hear it. I'm pushing my little cart in Wegmans, and I can hear a, a mother saying, put that down. No. 
put that down. No. And then you can hear the mother wrestling and out of her head. I can hear it in the other aisle, right? I can hear this happening. You can hear the bag of chips. And they're pulling on the bag of chips. And then the kid starts to squeal. Then they got to call on the SWAT team. Put it down. Put it down. It's horrible. But Samson's parents, they didn't do this. They should have. And notice here that it says that, that there's, there, there's things in this verse that we don't always get. Because if you read it the way it is, it sounds like you know, his, his mother and father were right there with him, physically, right next to him, all the way down to Timnah. And then it says, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. And so we believe that he kind of made a little sojourn off into the, into, the, into the vineyards, where he shouldn't have been anyway. Because guess what? As a, as a man who had a Nazarite vow, being in a vineyard was not a good place. It's like an alcoholic walking into a liquor store. Not a good idea. It's like a drug addict walking into a pharmacy where they got all the oxycodone and the hydrocodone, all they are labeled in just plentiful amounts, copious amounts of it, and there's nobody around. And that's what it's like. It's like a drug addict walking in, and there's nobody there, and he's looking around, and there's even no cameras. Right? He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been there. So he leaves the path. He goes into the vineyard where he shouldn't have, begin, shouldn't have been to begin with. And then he, he sees this lion. And we know in Numbers chapter 6 that this is one of the things. That there, there's so many things wrong about this. He shouldn't have been there. Let me just read to you quickly Numbers chapter 6. Just the first eight verses. Because this is the vow that Samson took. This is the vow that was placed upon him from his mother's womb. In Numbers chapter 6, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite, a Nazarite is really just somebody who is separate. That's what it means. It means holy and separate. To separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither wine, uh, drink neither vinegar made from wine, nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, from seed to skin, and all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. So here's the second thing: until the days are fulfilled, are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord he shall be holy, and then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make for himself un, make himself unclean, even for his brother or his or for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because the separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. And we're going to see Samson going into a vineyard, and we're going to see him soon at a wedding, his own wedding, where certainly he was drinking wine, and now he's going to wrestle with an unclean animal. In Leviticus, um, it tells us that. Um, that a, an animal, uh, a, a lion specifically, um, is an unclean animal. And then he kills this unclean animal. And we're going to see what happens later. But notice, could this be the Lord, this lion coming out after him? I think it was. I think it was the Lord knew what he was going to do in this man's life in spite of him, but doesn't the Lord 
make him accountable at the same time? Does it remind you of Balaam? If you read Numbers chapter 22 through 24, those three chapters, it talks about Balaam. This prophet who the king of Balaam or the king of Balak, who was the, the king of Moab, hired him to come and curse the children of Israel. And Balaam was a man who really liked money. And God says, don't go with the men. Don't go with this, this embassage from Moab. Don't go with them, Balaam. And Balaam starts to deal with them. And God you know, gets, uh, is very frustrated with Balaam because God told him what not to do, and he does the exact opposite. Finally, God has to open the eyes of the, of the donkey. Only the donkey can see the angel of the Lord standing in front of him, kind of winnowing their path so they couldn't go certain places. And finally, Balaam, remember, just slaps the donkey. And then the Lord appears to him. The angel of the Lord show, reveals himself to him. And then he's ashamed. Could it be that God was using this lion as a way to wake up Samson and say, Samson, what are you doing? What are you doing? You knew what you were supposed to do. And the Lord always seems to make us accountable even when we go against His revealed will, even though He knew the end of it all. And He often works things according to His own will in spite of us. So Samson... was not doing the right thing. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, before the flood, the Lord said this. He said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh. And you know, there's a danger when we continue to resist the Lord. The Lord will ultimately, sometimes, if we resist Him long enough, He'll let us have what it is that we're striving against Him. And to me, that's the scariest thing that a human being can go through is getting what they want, getting what they want, resisting so much that God says, you really want it that bad. And I, I've done this myself, and perhaps you have too. There's been something in your life where you've wanted something so bad, and you're, you're, you're going to do anything to get it. And finally you do get it. And the Lord all along is just trying to get your attention, and finally you get it. And it, it, does it ever really satisfy? It never really does. Whatever that thing is, in about a year, it gets old. Something new and shiny comes out that's better than that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't really like that anymore. Oh, but look at that one. Hey, look at that. It's shiny and new. It even looks better. It sounds better. feels better. The steering wheel on that thing feels so good in my hands. You know? God's Spirit will not strive with the man forever. Verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and notice what he did. He tore the young lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And, um, you know, throughout the Scripture, we see this interesting thing where the Spirit of God will come upon somebody. We know that before Jesus came on the scene, we know that He always existed even before He was born into you know, Virgin Mary, right? He always existed for eternity and past. But before He came on into the earth and during His ministry, prior to that, 
when the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God didn't indwell a human being. Do you know that? He came upon them at different times, but didn't indwell them. That, that's something unique to the church in the New Testament, when Jesus breathed upon His disciples and, and, and they received the Spirit of God. And on the day of Pentecost, you know, they were born again, and then the Spirit of God came upon them. This is the kind of relationship that Sol, or Samson had at times with the Lord. The Spirit of God would come upon him to do some task, came upon him in power, just as he did in the days of Pentecost when he came upon the church in that upper room and those 120 people were filled with the Spirit of God. Similar thing. Then he went down and he talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. Again, there's our phrase again. She was right in his eyes. We saw that in verse 3. So verse 3 and verse 7, you should make a footnote for each other because they both mean the same thing. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. So here he is, knowing that what he did, he shouldn't have been in the vineyard anyway. Now he kills a beast. Now he's unclean. And now he's going back and revisiting it at another time. And the thing has had some time to decay. Perhaps the animals have already taken pieces of it. And now there's a, 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 a hive of bees growing inside the carcass of this thing. And so what does he do? Behold, a swarm of bees and honey was in the carcass of the lion. And perhaps Samson was enjoying the fact that he killed this lion with his bare hands. And God even allowed it probably just to spare his life. Because God still had a plan for him, even though he was not walking the way he should walk. I love that verse where it says, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That's a mystery to me that I, I don't quite understand, but I, I know that God gifts some individuals, and he, he doesn't take back that gift. He gives a gift to someone, and then it's their opportunity, it's their great privilege to honor Him in that gift. And we know that sometimes those gifts are prostituted. We even see God giving great gifts. I mean, it's not a spiritual gift per se, but uh, you'll see the Lord giving somebody a, the gift of music, somebody who's very gifted musically. And we know there's a big difference between some of the superstars today and some of the gospel singers and churches that no one will ever know. Big difference. Notice he took some of it in his hands and he went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them as well, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So now what is Samson doing? He, he not only defiled his Nazarite vow by eating the honey from the unclean animal who was now dead, another infraction against the vow that he was under. We're going to see that he's going to drink wine. He's going to touch the dead. He's touched unclean animals. He's getting romantically and physically involved with those whom God has told him to, told him to stay away from. And later on, he's going to cut his hair. And notice not only that, not only did he defile himself, but he also defiled his parents, unbeknownst to them, especially his mother, who, remember when she was even pregnant with Samson, that she had the vow of a Nazarite upon her for a season. And now he's defiling her too. You know, sin is like that, isn't it? It's never, uh, it, it, it not only affects us when we sin, but everyone around our sphere of influence is affected. It's like leaven. It's like cancer. It's like leprosy. Lying right underneath the surface, nobody can see it manifesting itself. 
Sin is never content with being solo. It wants as many companions as possible. And the thing that is difficult is that sin is pleasurable for a season. The Bible does say that. You remember in Hebrews, and we'll end here for tonight, we'll pick up in verse 10 next week. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, what does it say in, in that hall of faith chapter? What does it say concerning Moses? It says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And that's what it is. That's what makes sin so enticing is because it is pleasurable for a season. But then the bill comes due. And is anyone really able to pay the bill? The wages of sin is death. I don't want to pay that debt. And aren't you glad that one did come to take that punishment for you and I? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I couldn't pay that bill. It was too great of a bill. And I'm so glad that even if I could, God would not accept it. But Jesus came, as you know, and this is one of the wonderful things about Christ, is that He came to take that punishment for you and I. He took that sin upon Himself. As He hung on the cross, it says in Isaiah that His soul, his soul became an atonement for us. He became sin for us on that cross. Every sin, every foul thought, every foul deed that has ever happened or ever will occur was placed upon him. And this is something that Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, does not portray, neither could it. How can you portray that act, that single act, when God the Father forsook his own son on the cross the Bible says that God cannot look upon sin. And as he placed the sin of mankind on his son for the first time in all of his existence, is it any wonder that Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew very well what he was doing, but he had never experienced this ever. Do you understand that? God the Father just basically turned around and said, I'll see you, son, and left him forsook him for a season. Now, for you and I, that may not seem like a big deal. But we're talking about God in the flesh. He has never experienced that ever. And even now in glory, the Bible tells us in Revelation, as we're going through the book of Revelation, that even in heaven, Jesus bears those scars. And when we see him, we're going to see the scars in his head from where they took the crown of thorns and they, 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 they smashed him on the head with a reed and those thorns are just going deeper into his skin. We're going to see the wound in his side. We're going to see the wounds in his hands and in his feet. And perhaps if he turned around, we would see the lashings. We would see the scars on his back. And I don't think those scars are going to go away. I think we're going to see them for eternity. And it won't be something that we'll we'll have to cry about because it's going to be a joyful time, but we'll never forget what our Savior did for us. And what this Jesus wanted to do for Samson. He gave him so many opportunities, just like this lion popping out. I believe that was God's way of putting a roadblock in front of this man. See, there's always accountability. Whenever we go forward in something, there's always accountability. God is going to, he's going to, he's going to interrupt your plan 
if you're bent on it and he's got a better plan. He's done that for me. Has he done that for you? Have you had times in your life where you wanted to do your own thing? You started down that course and something happened. Something didn't work out. A roadblock of some kind. But instead of stopping and saying, Lord, forgive me. Help me get my heart right. I'm not even sure what I'm doing is right. It feels good. I want to do it really bad, but it's probably not the best thing. How many of us humble ourselves and get on our knees and say, Lord, I cannot have what I want. If it's not your will for me, I don't want it. Right? So think about that this week and, and read ahead, read this chapter and, and see the, the times where he just really blew it. But to know that God wasn't finished with him. God was still going to use him. Just like he's going to use you and I. He's not going to give up on you. He said he'd never leave you nor forsake you, even to the end of the age. So be encouraged by that, saints. And and uh, looking forward to um, getting uh, together Sunday. And I'm looking forward to next week going through the rest of this chapter and getting into chapter 15. Why don't we stand and let's pray and give thanks. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, this evening. Actually, it's morning somewhere in the world. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, as we, as we look at Samson's life, God, um, we recognize that there are so many lessons for us to learn, male and female, every one of us. Lord, help us to not candy coat anything in our life, Lord. Help us not to, to take it easy on sin in our own life. Lord, we're so prone to point a finger at someone else and coddle our own sin. Lord, help us to not be like that. Lord, help us to, to watch our eyes, Father, men and women, Lord. Help us to make a covenant with our eyes, just like Job made with him, himself, with you. And Lord, encourage us. Lord, in this world that we live in, God, more than anything, Lord, we desire to be faithful to you in a godless environment. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord, and to be encouraging to others. Lord, to point others, not to the church, not to Calvary Chapel per se, but help us point them to you. Lord, you are the reason. This is, all, this is what it's all about. It's all about you, Lord. And so, Father, we give you our hearts tonight. Get us home safely tonight. And again, just continue to protect our health, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.